Welcome to the Art of the Christian Ninjas Sermon Podcast, dedicated to helping you find the tools and inspiration you need to pursue a deeper, consistent, and more meaningful relationship with God. Pastor Al Deschano speaks at Beckwith Baptist Church in Carleton Place, Ontario, Canada. And if you have any questions or comments about what you hear today, want to learn more, or just see what Pastor Al is up to, you can find him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on the webpage artofthechristianninja.com. And now, here's Pastor Al with this week's message. Most of you who are watching, you know that the passages that I read before the beginning of the, at the beginning of the service, like the call to worship and our weekly scripture reading, are chosen way before, long before I, I ever read them on Sunday morning. Around the beginning of December each year, I usually take time to sit down with what's called the lectionary of daily readings, which itself was written a long time ago and is based on a liturgical calendar, which is based on written centuries ago. So I go through this document and these, this lectionary, and I read and I choose the passages that I want to read on Sunday for the whole year. I do this from a lectionary because it's designed to give an overview of Christian theology and the important passages in the Bible throughout the year, and there's no way I'd be able to come up with something better than what they have created. So the difficult part is that Each Sunday in the lectionary has four readings, one from the Psalms, one from the New Testament letters, one from the Gospels, and another passage based on what day in the liturgical calendar it is. For example, today is the sixth Sunday of Easter of year A in the three-year rotation, ABC, and the readings are from Acts 17, Psalm 66, 1 Peter 13, and John 14. But since the tradition at our church is to only have two scripture readings, I try to kind of rotate between the bunch so that our church gets a balanced diet of old and new and psalm and letters and gospels. But what amazes me, constantly amazes me, is that every week it seems that even though those passages were chosen so long ago, based on calendars from even longer ago, they are often exactly what our church needs to hear that day. God in his wisdom and in his grace has given us this book, the Bible, where the words don't stay on the page. They are the word of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's the Bible, God working through the Bible. The, the Bible's not a book. It's not only a book. It is the main and the usual means by which God speaks to us today by his Holy Spirit, making the words of the Bible come alive to us, speaking exactly what we want to hear, like God was writing specifically to us. All we have to do is submit ourselves to reading it, to humbling ourselves before it, to to being open to what God wants to say through it, and then listen when he speaks. Sometimes he'll speak a message of encouragement. Other times it'll be a message of conviction. But his word and his spirit work together in a humble heart to tell us exactly 
what we need to hear. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. And I want you to listen to the words of Paul as he writes to his protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to all the way to 17. These are the words of an older servant of God who is sitting in a prison, facing his final days on earth, preparing to be sentenced to death at any moment for the sake of the gospel. And I want you to see what he says to Timothy. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. You see, young Timothy here, his job that he was given by Paul was to try to combat the false teachers who had taken over some of the churches that he and Paul had been planting. But Timothy was a very different person than Paul. He'd been following Paul, but they were kind of very different in personality. Timothy was younger and meeker and more tender-hearted. Paul was a rock. Timothy was more banana-ish. He was more easily bruised. Not that Timothy wasn't courageous and wise. He was just younger, less experienced, more soft-hearted. But As we see here, he's been following Paul's example, obeying Jesus, stepping up to speak and serve as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And and because of that, he was suffering, just like Paul did, just like Jesus did. Paul says here, you know, you've been following in my footsteps. You see what I've done. You've been trying to mimic what I do as I try to do what Jesus wants. And those footsteps often lead to suffering. And then he continues in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, Paul says, this is the usual way of things, Timothy. Jesus promised that everyone who tries to live like him is going to face what he faced. Difficult times, persecution, evil people, fake people, liars. Obedient Christianity is not an easy road. Paul knew this. Timothy knew this. Jesus warned about this. We know this. But now, Timothy is all alone. Paul was locked up in a Roman prison hundreds of miles away. Timothy couldn't, you know, hide behind Paul whenever he had a problem anymore. He couldn't just go ask Paul whenever there was a tough question. When the fake people and the deceivers were all spreading rumors and lies about him and Paul and God and Jesus and salvation and everything, he, he couldn't just go to Paul and say, could you refute these, please? Because, you know, these guys are causing trouble. He couldn't do that. Timothy was alone. And so Paul, who himself was also very lonely in his prison cell, wrote to Timothy to tell him how to deal with that, what he should do. And I think that's where a parallel comes in today, right? Like a lot of you who are listening to this are alone. I'm standing in the church alone. Now, Either you're alone because there's no one around you because you live alone, or you're alone in the faith because you're the only believer in your family, 
or you're alone because God has called you to do something difficult and people don't understand, or you feel alone because your work has forced you to you know, live behind walls and behind barriers and masks and gloves and sent you away and make you, you know, work in the basement. You, now you're all physically alone, detached. Maybe, maybe you are surrounded by family, but you feel alone when you're there because there's tension in the house. There's arguing, there's hurt feelings, and you find yourself just sitting alone, sitting by yourself a lot. Loneliness is a huge issue right now. Despite the little bit of good news we've recently heard, we are still under the social isolation rules, and there are people who are feeling a wave of loneliness. And it's hitting them as COVID-19 continues to be this present reality. Now, I don't need to recount all the terrible things that have been going on, because you know them. I'm sure it will not surprise you when I say that mental, the mental health crisis we were already having has only gotten worse. Depression, anxiety, addiction, abuse, panic attacks, suicides, they're all on the rise. Things were not great before, and they're worse now. In our church, in our church, I'm amazed at how people are holding up. If my numbers are correct, uh, about half the church has lost their jobs, and most are negatively, at least financially, impacted by what's going on not even mentioning all the other struggles and difficulties that have come with it. And yet, when we talk, even though there's some concern and you know there's discouragement and there's a little bit of, you know, what's going to happen and what's going on, I mostly hear stories of positivity and hope and faith. Our church is a good church full of good Christians. But we're not immune to the effects of the pandemic, are we? Maybe when I call, you want to be cheery. You want to be encouraging. Maybe when we're talking to each other and your deacon calls or your elder calls or your friends call, you want to be encouraging. You don't want to be a downer. But none of us are immune to the effects of the pandemic. We're not immune to loneliness or isolation or stress or fear. I don't want to speak for you, but I wonder if you feel how Timothy may have felt. Right? You know what it's like to be a person of faith. You have faith. You know that God has it under control. The big picture is under control. You know that. You're not worried for your soul because you know Jesus is your gracious Savior and he, is, he will hold you and He will hold you fast. You're not worried you're going to lose your salvation. But moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, you're presented with these questions you don't have answers to. People that frustrate you, fears that you can't seem to shake, and moments of discouragement. I know that feeling. I'm sure you know that feeling too. Maybe it happens right after you watch the news, right? Or you see some article go by on social media, and then oof. Maybe it's after a conversation with someone that didn't go the way you wished it would. Maybe it's when you're standing at the grocery store, Surrounded by people in masks and visors and surgical gloves, and you're and you're starting to think about every single little thing you're touching, while you're also worrying about whether or not you're supposed to touch your face and you're not supposed to touch your face, and that anxiety starts to rise, and all you're doing is trying to get groceries. Maybe it's when you get to the till, and you wonder if there's enough money in the bank or how long the money in the bank is going to last. Maybe it's the quiet moments. 
right before you turn off the TV, or right after you turn off the TV, or right after you turn off the tablet, right, right before you go to sleep, things start to sink in. The worries creep in, the guilt, the bitterness, the anger, the fear. Christians aren't immune to that. Timothy was a wonderful man of God, trained by the greatest missionary ever, given charge over what was at the time the most important missionary church in the world. But Timothy wasn't immune to fear and stress and emotional toll that would come from it. Keep in mind, at the time, the emperor that he was under was Nero, one of the most terrible people in history. We might complain the government is, you know, being unfair to churches now, but Nero was literally feeding Christians to the lions and lighting Christians on fire for entertainment. That's the environment Timothy was living in. So, so what does Paul say to Timothy? Paul is writing what he thinks could be the last letter he'll ever write to someone he deeply loves, who he's given a, a, a super important job to. What would the greatest missionary of all time, the author of the letters in the New Testament, a man with unparalleled visions of God, who perhaps suffered more for the gospel than any other person ever, what does Paul write in the final paragraphs of his letter to this stressed-out young man who's feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders? What would he say? Look at verse 14. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what does Paul say? He says, stay in the word of God, Timothy. Root yourself in the Bible, Timothy. Eat, sleep, and breathe, and remember the scriptures. See, Timothy was raised by a Christian mother and grandmother, who grew, and he grew up in the faith. He'd been hearing Bible stories and reading the prophets since he was little. Today, we'd say that Timothy went to Sunday school. He was part of the youth group. He went to Awana. He took catechism. He grew up in the church. He had good Christian role models. The Bible, which we would call the Old Testament, so his Bible, which we'd call the Old Testament, that was a huge part of his upbringing. He had a Christian upbringing. And then when God told Paul to mentor Timothy and take him on his journeys, his family and his church laid hands on him and prayed over him and commissioned him for ministry. Then the apostles wrote more scriptures, and they were being copied and sent around, and Timothy would have been part of collecting them and keeping them. He would have had copies of Luke the Gospel of Luke and of Acts. He would have had probably the book of James, and he would have probably had Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, the Galatians, the Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, and even Romans. And of course, he'd have his own two personal letters from Paul himself. And so when Timothy was getting stressed out, confused and overwhelmed and tired and sick and afraid and attacked, Paul says... Turn to the Scriptures, read the Scriptures, pray the Scriptures, listen to God speak directly to you the words of the Proverbs, 
the wisdom of the Proverbs, the, the words of the Psalms, the emotional language of the Psalms, the prophets, the wisdom of the prophets, the law, the apostles. He told Timothy, when the difficulties come, remember what you already know, what you've already learned, the parts you've memorized, the parts you've studied, all all the scriptures you have hidden in your heart, all the stories your grandma told you, all the songs your mom used to sing to you, all the, all the stories about Jesus you have heard, all that you've read, all that you've collected, bring them all to mind, Timothy. Your faith in Jesus Christ is fueled by your attention to and humility before the Word of God. I'll say that again. Your faith in Jesus Christ is fed and fueled by your attention to and humility before the Word of God. They are what will connect you to Jesus. They'll what increase your faith. They'll remind you of your hope and your salvation. They'll make you wise. You ask yourself, you know, do you need connection to the Spirit of God? Are you thirsty for a connection to the Spirit of God? Do you wish you had more connection to God? Well, the Scriptures were breathed out by Him. They have the power and the presence of God in them. Do you feel inadequate to interpret the times, confused by all the slick false teachers and, and you need some instruction on what to do? Do you feel confused about the big questions in life, the meaning, eternity, you know, the Scriptures are a spring of knowledge that will never run dry. Do you sense that you're being lied to or you're believing lies? Do you feel darkness starting to seep into your soul? Well, the Bible only tells you the truth. And it's valuable for reproof or rebuking, bringing light and clarity to the darkness of this world. Do you ever wonder if you're going the right way? Wonder what needs to change in your life? Do you, do you see someone in sin and you don't know what to say because they're going off a cliff? The Scriptures are the best way for you to correct yourself and someone else. They present to you the straight and narrow path, they show you the walls on either side, and they give you the compass that will point true north. You don't have to have the right words to say when you see someone in trouble. The Bible has the right words. You don't need to wonder about the big plan. Scripture will tell you. I've said this so many times before. 95% of what humans spend so much time trying to figure out, the most important thing every human wants to know, has already been answered. 95%. It's in the Bible. The Word of God will train you up, show you the right way, help you grow in maturity, and give you the equipment so you can do good in this world. One of my commentaries said it this way. If Timothy would nurture his spiritual life in the Scriptures that he would use for his ministry, he would be fully qualified and prepared to undertake whatever task God put before him. What a tragedy for any Christian to be labeled as spiritually unprepared for a task when the means of instruction and preparation are readily at hand. I've always felt this kinship with Timothy. I also grew up in the church. I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. I, I have more Bible stories and hymns and songs and sermons and skits and plays in my brain than almost anything else. I've served in some form of ministry 
since I was asked to be a puppeteer in the Sunday schools at age 13. When I was called into ministry, I really connected with Timothy. He was a young pastor, stretched beyond his comfort zone, taken away from his home, away from his comforts, and then dropped into a difficult church with no idea what to do. That was literally my first two churches. Now, people stopped saying how young I am for being a pastor about five years ago, but it hasn't been that long since I felt like I was living a very Timothy-esque life. That meant often not knowing what to do. I remember sitting in my office just not having a clue what to do next. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to help. It meant hours of loneliness and heartache and fear, confusion, as people that I was serving would lie or betray or hurt me and my family. There were some amazing people, God-given, beautiful, wonderful people, but there was also a lot of tears. And when those tears came, I would read Paul's letters to Timothy. And I, I would read them like they were God's letters to me. Jesus spoke to me through them. When I turned to Scripture, Jesus would comfort me. He'd teach me. He'd correct me. He'd train me. He'd equip me for whatever I needed to do. Often hymns and songs and scripture would just come to my mind that I sung during church or Sunday school or one of the Bible programs or VBS or Awana, something I went to as a child, and they'd be like this healing balm on my soul. It was like a personal message from God, like he was singing to me personally. I am so glad that I grew up in the church, and I know some of you have had the same experience I'm thankful for the Sunday school teachers that I had and the Awana leaders that I had and the parents that I had and the people that ran the vacation Bible schools and, and the pastors and the song leaders that, that put their time in day after day, week after week, trying to get a little bit of light, a little nugget of truth, a little bit of godly wisdom, drilling Bible verses into my thick, distracted little skull because those little bits of light that they hammered in were what God used to bring me out of some very dark times. And sometimes, even as a pastor, I didn't feel like reading my Bible. I'd get down, I'd, get, I'd feel hurt. I'd feel like God tricked me into taking a job that he was just going to use to make my life miserable. And I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to read about you know, how I'm supposed to persevere or be patient or, or you know, because I wanted to quit. At those moments, so very often, the Bible would, some Bible song would just come to my mind. Some old hymn some, that was just rich in Scripture. And it wouldn't be convicting and it wouldn't be challenging or it wouldn't be harsh. God didn't send criticism or some spur to kick me into gear. It would be light. It would be comfort. It would be joy. I'd be sitting there in my office, miserable. Sitting at home, miserable. And God would come and I'd hear in my mind, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor life 
nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or, you know, that's Romans 8, 38-39. Or how about this one? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the valleys are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That is basically Psalm 8, Psalm 66, Psalm 147, and Isaiah 40, all wrapped up together in a children's song. And he would bring it to my mind. And it would be like he was singing to me. You see, my message today has one point. Stay in God's word. Keep reading. If you look at the next chapter, you'll see why I preach how I do, why I talk, why I live how I do. Because I love Timothy. But the Bible isn't just for preachers. It's not just for missionaries or teachers or youth workers. The Bible was written in common language for common people to bring everyone to God. It is not just for studying. It is not just for arguing about. It is not just for highfalutin thoughts and, and old people. It, it, I can't tell you what a big deal it was, how, how special it was. The moment that light came on for me, I, when I went from studying the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, learning it like a textbook, to reading it like it was God's personal letter to me, when I finally realized that the living and active Word of God wasn't just big ideas and grandiose concepts meant to guide you know, life, but that if I listened, if I asked, if I prayed, God would actually talk to me individually through the Holy Spirit, making his word come alive to talk to me about exactly what I'm going through, showing me something about God or myself or the world that I needed to see that day, that moment, that hour. And I, that is true for every believer. God still speaks through his spirit, through his word today, to anybody who's willing to humble themselves and listen. Now, of course... I have to give the warning that not everything you think is correct. You know that, right? Not every interpretation you come up with in Scripture is exactly the right one. Like, think of that old joke. You know, pretty old, you probably know the old joke. The, the, the man who was so desperate to find the will of God, he just decided one day he would open up the Bible and he, he'd put his finger down and whatever verse it landed on, that's what he'd do. So he opened up and he found Matthew 27.5 and it said, Judas hanged himself. So startled, the man went, closed the Bible, reopened it again, dropped his finger on, and he landed in Luke 10.37. Go and do likewise. A little bit more worried, he tried again. He's like, okay, that can't be right. So he opens it up one more time, and his finger landed on John 13.27. What you are about to do, do quickly. Now, you know that's not how it works, right? If you wake up in the morning and it's 7.37 on the, on the clock, it's not 
a sign from God to go on a mission trip. You know that. You need context, study, meditation. You need other people telling you, you know, you tell them what you think God is saying. They, they talk to you about it. You, you need guidance from Christian friends and elders and pastors. You, you know that. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is that during a time like we're having now, when loneliness and anxiety and worry and stress are starting to max out, when, when those are starting to become a pandemic of their own, it is critical for you to hear the voice of God talking to you, to commit yourself to reading the Bible, singing the Bible, sharing the Bible, posting the Bible on your fridge and on your phone and on your computer and on your social media, just living in the Word. But most of all, when you get alone with God, when you've made the time to read His Word and you have to make the time, you will not find the time. You have to make the time. That when you get there, you will read with anticipation that God is present and willing to speak. To read knowing and trusting that if you've given your life to God, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, then God's Holy Spirit will speak to you through His Word. I want you to come to His Word the way that you'd you'd come to your first meal of the day. Hungry, expecting it to feed you. Come to the Bible like that, that you expect it to feed your soul, fill you up, energize you for the day, keep you alive, knowing that if you don't get it in you, if, if you starve yourself, you're going to be weak, you're not going to be able to function. I want you to come to God's Word anticipating, expecting, longing for it to feed your soul that day, and knowing God is present, He will speak to you. Thanks for listening to today's Art of the Christian Ninja Sermon Podcast. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, head over to artofthechristianninja.com and check the Contact Me button to send an email to Pastor Al. While you're there, hit the Subscribe by Email button, use the search bar to discover lots of other topics, and even download all of Pastor Al's books for free. May the Lord be with you.